Good morning. Turn, turn with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 24 through 27 and closing out our, story, uh, our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I want to just take a moment to say, if you're a guest, uh, as, as Josh said earlier, thank you for the privilege of being here uh, at Wyatt Baptist Church, especially on a rainy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it is a great privilege to have you. Uh, I ask that at the end of the service, after the service is over, linger around and let, let our people uh, let you know how much they appreciate you uh, being in the service. But we are, we are glad to have you uh, with us this morning, and, and we hope you will enjoy your time with us and that it will uh, give you a moment where you uh, encounter uh, the God that we worship. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now this is a story, really, if you've been uh, at church in, in any length of time, like it's seared into your mind because there's a great just visual, a visual that you don't, don't forget of these two builders that are building these houses and what happens uh, to them. Uh, one reason I distinctly remember it is I loved the song that we would sing in children's church growing up. Oh, the rain came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And the foolish man's house went what? Splat. I just I remember just sitting there going, I get to clap my hands and say splat and just waiting on that moment. But looking at this verse and thinking about what this verse is saying, it's no fun thing. As fun as it is to clap and do the splat, to think about that a man's life was proven to be built on the sand and was destroyed in the judgment. But on the other hand, it's also a story that reveals a, a, a great example and an encouraging example of a man who built his house, who built his life, and he built it on the rock. And even though trials came and tests came, that house stood firm. And so what we want to do this morning is is just compare these two men. It's just to take time to, to look at their lives. And the first thing we want to do is look at three similarities that they have. Three things that we, we see in both of their lives. And then we'll look at uh, the three main differences that we see in their lives. So first, examining the similarities in the two builders. The first thing is that they were both building a life. Both of these builders were engaged in building a life for themselves. This is what the two houses represent. We're not talking 
Jesus isn't talking about a literal house here. Uh, he's talking about a little house that, that represents, uh, represents the life that we are building for ourselves. It's, it's our relationship with God. It's our marriage. It's the kids we are raising, the vocation that we are giving ourselves to. It's everything about us. We're building a life. That, 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 that house is what our lives are all about. Now what we need to realize here is that these are not two lives they're being described as, uh, for us as, as someone who's uh, a believer and someone who has no interest in Christianity. It, it's not talking about someone who is, is, you know, right with God and someone who hates God and who is a heathen. Rather, it's really talking about two men that were teaching, that were, they were listening to Jesus teach. They both had enough interest in what they were hearing about Christ to come out and listen to a sermon by Him. And so staying in line with, with the theme of, of Jesus' closing, it's really about the Christian and what the, what the Puritans called the almost Christian. Like the, the person who maybe is in church and... and and maybe is even a member of a church, but isn't quite there, who hasn't truly been converted. So when you're imagining the houses, don't imagine an all-American family home next to a frat house. That's not what's happening here. We have two people interested in Jesus, and it very well may be difficult to tell them apart, but because we will we were come to see that the, that the differences in these two men's lives are not cosmetic. They're foundational. Meaning they're not easy to see. They're not easy to distinguish. In fact, it may could be that the man who's building on the, on the bad foundation because he took a shortcut... He's probably got more money to spend, right? And so his house may have more big screen TVs. It may have better quality uh, paint or better uh, fixtures in the house. And it may look a lot better than the other house because the money and the work that would have gone to the foundation went to other areas. And so we see here men that, that are not far apart in some ways, but as we'll see, are actually very far apart in their belief in God. With both houses, there's more than meets the eye. It's, it's possible to build a life that looks great from the outside. And this is not what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 27, he was rebuking them, and one of the things he says is, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So let us realize that what Jesus is saying with this is that these are two houses that look fine. They look great. Examining from the outside, we would say, that looks like a great house but we will see that when the storms come when the testing comes one will fall flat and one will stand strong 
And this is really what Jesus has been telling us a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Pharisees and being different from them and and making sure it's not just the outward actions, but to really examine your heart. And so we see that they both built houses and they both, both those houses appeared to be fine. They appeared to be in good working order. We see that they both heard Jesus' words. Don't lose sight of the setting here. This is important. Uh, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine. Like it's taken us months to work through the Sermon on the Mount. So let's not lose sight of this sermon took minutes for Jesus to preach to these people. And He was preaching to a large multitude. And so the person building on the rock and the person who built on the sand are both setting under the teaching of Jesus. This is encouraging to me as a preacher that, that even Jesus, when He preached to a multitude, He had some that just walked away. That gives me encouragement. That if Jesus can preach and people be unaffected and people be unchanged by it, uh, then that encourages me because I know that's what happens a lot of times with my preaching. It is possible, dare I say, common to set under the teaching of the Word and remain unaffected by it. Imagine if you were being prepped for a major surgery. You know, something that was very, you know, like if, if, if the doctor gets it wrong, if the doctor cuts in the wrong place, you're gone. And you're, you're laying there, and, and as the, doc, the surgeons always do, uh, they come and they check on you, and, and they kind of tell you, this is what this is going to be like. This is what we're going to do today. And, and he comes and he does that, and, and then you say, Doctor, how many of these have you done? What if the doctor said, well, I haven't done any of these. But I've sat under hundreds and hundreds and hours of instruction. I've heard a lot of lectures. You're going to say, hold on, this ain't happening today, or, or, or maybe you're going to have to find a different doctor, because I don't care what you've heard, I want to know when the scalpel's in your hand and cutting into someone, how steady is your hand? What is your rate of success in this? I just don't want to hear about whether or not you've heard how to do this procedure And what the world needs now more than ever is Christians who don't just listen to sermons, but live the sermons they hear. Christians who don't just enroll in Bible studies, but Christians who allow the Word to study them and then to make changes according to it. The world doesn't care how many sermons you've heard or how many times you've been in church. They don't even care if you've been in church on a rainy Memorial Day weekend. They want to know when you apply those truths, when you apply the truths of Christianity to your marriage and to your parenting and to how you live your life, what's happening in your life? They both, third, they both would experience the storms of life. 
what happens to these two houses are identical. It says for verbatim for both of the houses, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. It does not matter if you are the most faithful Christian that has ever lived or the most godless heathen that has ever lived, you are going to experience storms of life. You're going to experience difficulty. The strength of your life that you are building will be put to the test. Don't think that because you are following Jesus that you will not face storms. If you live long enough on this earth, you will lose people that you love to death. If you're married long enough, your marriage is going to hit very rough spots. People are going to hurt you. There will be days when you wake up and you question whether God is really there. Or maybe you question, does He really love me? There are going to be those moments whether or not you're a Christian or not. Storms are going to come for us all without exception, which is why it is so important to make sure that we build a life that can face the storms that come. To do, to do that, we now need to move and see what are the differences? How are these men different? And what are the differences that lead to these different outcomes of one standing strong and one falling flat? Let's examine the differences in these two builders. While both heard Jesus' words, only one obeyed. The act that separates these men's lives from one another, from being built on the rock or being built on the sand, is what they did with Christ's words. What they did with His words. It says, every, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. More often than not, our greatest need as Christians is not another sermon or a Bible study lesson. It is obeying the sermons and Bible studies we've already heard. Anyone can listen to the Word of God. The hard part is obedience to the Word of God. And obedience is what separates these builders and their foundations. Hearing without doing causes us to lose confidence in the Word of God. It causes us, as Christians, to lose confidence in the Word of God. So many of us find it so difficult to stick to Bible study. To stick to that daily time where we're engaged with God in His Word. And we know that the problem can't be with God's Word. The reason we have trouble sticking, out, sticking that out. Because God's Word's amazing. Most of us would agree, hopefully, in Psalms 19.7, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So if the problem is not with the Word of God, then it must be how we handle the Word of God. 
And I think the biggest problem we have with handling the Word of God is reading it or hearing a sermon about it and forgetting about it. Reading and doing nothing about what we read. This is what this text is referencing. And James makes the same point. James uh, chapter 1, verses 22-25 through 25 says this, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Several years ago, after, after you know, I mean, growing up as a teenager, I just remember always trying to read the Bible through in a year. Like, I just felt like if I did that, that would be... I would be a mature Christian if I could go a year and just read through the Bible. And I would always fail. I would just lose track. I'd get too far behind. But several years ago, I finally had that year where, okay, I'm going to do this. So I picked out, and it was a great Bible reading plan. It was one that had you, you read in the Old Testament each day, you read in the, in the New Testament each day, you read in the Gospel each day. It was, it was a wonderful Bible reading plan. And I did it. I stuck through the entire year, the entire year every day, checking those boxes and, and getting through that reading plan. And I would love to tell you that, that that was one of the most vibrant years of my life spiritually, but it wasn't. It was actually a season where not much happened. Was the problem the fact that I was reading three chapters a day? No. Was the problem that with the reading plan? No, it was a great plan. The problem was is that I read to check it off and to say, man, I'm finally going to be the mature Christian I need to be and read the Bible in a year. And it was never about reading and figuring out what do I need to do? How do I need to respond to what I've read? It was just all about the reading that year. Just reading the Bible is not enough. Listening to sermons is not enough. The question many of us are lacking when it comes to our interaction with the Word of God is so what? So what? To, to read the Scriptures and go, so what? So what? needs to change in my life to be more in obedience to this verse. To read the verse and say, what do I, how does this verse need to affect how I'm living my life? What does this verse mean about the fight I had with my spouse last night? What does this verse mean when someone cuts me off in traffic today? So often instead we read God's Word and we put it back on the shelf and we pat ourselves on the back that we're good Christians that read the Bible. The reading of God's Word is just the start. The biggest part 
is what are we going to do about what we've read? Or what are we going to do about the sermon we just heard? Or the Bible study we just attended? Listen to me. You are better off doing one verse of the Bible than just reading a thousand. And this is God's call at the end of His sermon. He has laid out for the hearers some amazingly difficult but amazingly practical ways He desires us to live our lives as people. As people of His kingdom. And the question hanging in the air that He's posing to these people is what are you going to do about it now? Are you going to go? Or are you going to go apply this sermon that you've heard? Or are you going to go and forget about it? It's been my experience that the more you apply the Word of God to your life, the more confidence you begin to have in it. The more that you apply it and you begin to see the things that happen in your life when you're living the Word of God out, you'll be encouraged and you'll want more of it. And you'll, you'll, that's how you grow in your hunger for the Word of God. Not just reading it, but reading it in applying it. But not only is it hearing without doing effect our confidence in the Word of God, it, it causes, re, hearing without doing causes the world to ridicule the Word of God. It causes the world to ridicule it. It gives the unbelievers, it gives unbelievers a false view of the kingdom. Unbelievers are not reading God's Word. They're reading us. They don't always find fault with the Word of God because of the Word of God. They, they find fault in the Word of God because they are seeing our represent, representation of the Word of God. And they're saying, they're hypocrites. And, 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 and oftentimes, many times, they're right. Because we're coming and we're hearing sermons and, and every day we're doing devotionals and reading the Scriptures, but it's not changing us. It's not affecting the areas of our life that people are looking in on. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to just hear God's Word constantly and to never do anything about it. And the second difference we see is, as we've already looked at, that while both houses looked fine, they had very different foundations. The foolish man built his house on the sand. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man, he rushed to get it built. The wise man took time to get it right. How many times, maybe I'm the only one, but there's a project that you need to do at home. And you just need... It needs to get done, but you just don't have time to do it right, so you just try to do it as best as you can. You know, you don't, you don't go watch Google videos on how to do it, or you just say, I can figure this out. And oftentimes, you, you have to come back and spend three times as much money, three times as much time, and more often than not, you have to hire somebody to come in and not just fix the problem, but first fix what you made worse and then fix the problem. Am I the only one that experiences this? 
I've experienced this this spring with my garden. I've just had I've had a crazy spring, if you know some of my health issues and things. And but I just I had to have a garden, and so I had very little time, and so I just basically threw some plants in the ground. And uh, that garden is currently a disaster. I wasted money on plants. I even wasted some money on some fertilizer and, and, and compost and things. I'll be ecstatic if I get a tomato. So hint, hint, if you have a good garden with an abundance, Brother Adam, uh, you know, hint, hint, has four kids. But the deal is, I rushed the process and now I'm paying the price. Our Christian life, and and I'm speaking here of the sense of sanctification, of growing to be more like Christ, it is a process that, while not complicated, it cannot be rushed. So much of the imagery representing the Christian life is borrowed from agriculture And agriculture is something that takes time, planting seeds, giving things time to grow. We we live in a world of of instant gratification of smartphones. While our justification is instant, our sanctification is slow. Sometimes much slower than we would like to grow more like Christ. But when it comes to conformity to Christ and living the commands of the Sermon on the Mount, there is no out for that. It comes from picking up and reading the Bible every day of our lives and then asking what needs to change to be more like Christ. It's the constant, slow process. And the man, the foolish man, he rushed it. He said, I, don't, you know, I just want, don't want to take that kind of time. I don't want to have to read my Bible every day and, and look for sin in my life. I just want to do what I want to do. The foolish man was arrogant. While the, hot, while the wise man humbly listened to instruction concerning the foundation. These different foundations are laid. Simply put, one man listened to the words of, of Jesus and said... Great sermon, but no thank you. He said, you know, there's some great thoughts in there, Jesus, but I think I know better about how to bring joy in my life and and lasting peace in my life, so I'm just going to do my thing. And the other man listened to the words of God and obeyed them did them they were like peter in, in john six sixty eight. you said uh to jesus lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life the man said i got nowhere else to go after hearing what you just said these are the words of life And because he responded to the Word of God, his life will stand the test of time and the judgment. You can go to Home Depot and you can get the materials. 
There are Home Depot, maybe. They'll have them. You can't envision in your mind what you want that house to look like. But if you have no experience in structural engineering, that that house is not going to turn out the way you envision it. Or worse yet, one day it's going to fall on the heads of your family. But if you get an architect, if you go to Michael Rogers, it's free of charge, that publicity, Michael. If you go to Michael or someone like him and say, man, this is kind of what I'm thinking in my head, but I have no structural uh, knowledge, so I need you to, to kind of figure out how these walls are going to, going to be there and, and how this roof is going to stay put and, and you just the foundation uh, that we need to do, you just... you. Go to your computer and you figure all that out. And you take that plan and you give it either, maybe if you have building experience, you can do it according to that plan or hire somebody. And that is going to be a house that, that's, that, that you can depend on. Why? Because you were humble enough to say, I don't know how to do this. How can we be so arrogant to think that we can do it the way we want to do it in life and to turn our backs on the great architect God and not realize that it's going to have horrible ramifications for our future. But if we will come with, with the humility that's described at the very beginning of this sermon of being poor in spirit and, and being humble, if we come mourning our sin and and entrusting ourselves to Christ, He will help us build a life that will stand in this life and and then in the life to come. Lastly, while both men built lives, only one withstood the, the, the storms of life. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And the rain, verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now I believe that that if the scriptures are, are clear in other area, other places that if we just do our own thing and 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 just turn away from God and and in fact Proverbs says the way of the transgressor is hard. Because I believe that if you don't build your marriage on Christ, it'll fall. If you don't build your parenting on Christ, you're going to fail. If you don't build everything you do on on Christ, it's going to fall but i think what this particular text is really speaking of is the judgment is the judgment to come and and why i say that is because i think it's just continuing the theme of how jesus is closing this sermon and has been closing this sermon he first said it's you better make sure that the path you are walking is the narrow path that leads to life and not the broad path that leads to destruction. It's talking about judgment. Be sure that, next he talks about be sure that you're not following false teachers who will lead you 
to destruction. And he says, examine yourself to make sure that you're not self-deceived and, and make sure that you're not going to be someone that at the judgment stands before God thinking that you're okay and to hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you. And now, He's telling us to examine your foundation to make sure that at the judgment, it's proven that you built your life on the rock of, of Christ. So how can we make sure that we have a foundation that will stand the test of judgment? I think it starts where, as I've already mentioned in this sermon, it starts where the sermon started. Because I want to be very careful here because it would be it's so easy and, and many false teachers have done this is to take the Sermon on the Mount and just make it a, these are the moral things that if you do them, God will be pleased with you and He'll let you into heaven. And that's not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Because the Sermon on the Mount starts with, with telling us that we're poor in spirit. And it tells us to mourn our sins and, and tells us to be meek. Before the first commandment is ever given, it's Jesus basically saying, you can't do this. You can't do it. It is beyond you. You are spiritually bankrupt. And so what you have to do at the onset is you have to turn to Christ. And you have to trust Him as your Savior. You have to believe that, that He died in your place on the cross for your sins. And that, that your sins were placed upon Him and He paid for those sins. And that, that His righteousness was then given to you. You have to trust in the work of Christ. Because you can't even begin to obey one thing in the Sermon on the Mount until you've done that. And then Jesus starts in on the commands throughout the Sermon on the Mount. They're very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult to live the life that Christ lays out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. But if you are Christian, if you are someone who has humbled yourself initially and turned to Christ, you will be someone who desires to live the Sermon on the Mount. No, you're not always going to love your enemies perfectly. You're not always going to return evil with good. You're not always going to judge people rightly. But as a Christian, it will be your desire to do so. And it will be your desire as you grow in your life to, to be more like Christ. And Christ lived the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're questioning, what's my foundation? Am I on that foundation where when I face the judgment... My house and the life that I've built for myself will stand the test. 
You just need to make sure that, that you have come to a point where you have humbly trusted Christ as your Savior. And you need to look at your life and ask yourself, am I pursuing holiness? Not, am I perfectly holy in my life? I mean, we are holy in Christ, but not that you're perfectly holy in your life, but that you're in a pursuit of holiness. If you can say those two things are, are true about your life, then you, have great, you can have great confidence that your house and your life is being built on the rock, on Christ, on, on trusting Him and, and then being obedient to Him. In conclusion, this is what it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 28 and 29. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. These people were amazed. They couldn't believe they had heard the scribes talk a lot, but this was something totally different. This was someone speaking in authority from God. And listen, the, the, the thing I want to tell you is that Christ is in authority. And you can either take Him or you can leave Him. But if you leave Him, it's going to lead to your house, your life falling, and great will be the fall of it. But if you will take Him, if you will say, that is the authority that I want to live under. I want to, I want to be His. I want to belong to Him. And you build your life on, on that, on loving and serving the Christ who saved you. Then you, your life, when it gets to the judgment, will stand true and you will have eternal life for all of eternity i'm going to ask that you stand as our musicians come and i want to just invite you what are you going to do with the words of jesus he is one who spoke with authority on the sermon on the mount and he has that same authority today and i want to invite you if you're not sure if you don't know that where, what your foundation is, I'll be down here. I'd love to talk to you. But if you will, if you'll trust Him, if you will humbly trust Him and Him alone in His death on the cross for your sins, you can walk away with knowing that your life is on the rock and then begin to get engaged in growing to be more like Christ. I invite you to respond to God this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank You for the Sermon on the Mount. God, some of the most difficult words ever written down, but, this, but so sweet to see what You want from us. God, I pray that we would all first and foremost humble ourselves and trust Christ. God, when we have done that, God, give us spirit to be doers of the word 
be those who are not just hearing sermons, not just doing Bible studies, not just reading the Word, but who are changing our lives in conformity to Christ every day. And God, that's where confidence in Your Word, that's where confidence in our foundation comes from. God, move in our hearts. Help us to respond to Your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Every hour I need You. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need You. You're my one defense, my can be seated. We'll ask the deacons to come now and take the morning offering. stand as representing those in your branch who have been lost 
Uh, will, you, will you just please stand if you served in the military? If you, uh, if you have a spouse or a, a child that has, has served in the military and that is no longer with us, would you please stand in, in representing them? Um, if you have uh, someone who is, uh, who is in harm's way um, uh, right now, would you please stand and let's pray for them as well. Let's pray. Dearly Father, God, we, uh, we just think about the horrors of war and, um, and how that has affected uh, people all around us. And God, there are spouses uh, that have been widowed. There are children or their moms and, and dads that have lost their kids and god there's just so many ways that that war has torn so many lives in two god i pray that i pray for them i pray that that you would draw closer and that they would find the satisfaction and and the sufficiency that only you can give in the loss that has been so great in their lives. God, be with them. And God, I pray for, uh, I pray for our leaders and, and those who have to make these difficult decisions. I pray that they would make godly and just uh, decisions when it comes to putting uh, soldiers in harm's way. Just give them great wisdom. God, I pray for those who are serving right now and or who are connected to our church that are in harm's way. And God, I pray that you would be with them. Uh, God, that you would protect them. That you would help them to draw close to you. And God, again, we, we pray that you would bless the lives of these families that, that have lost so much. But most of all, we pray that they would find their satisfaction and turn to you for comfort. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.